Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We are a equal opportunity podcast. We, we we give you credit if you do good. We talk about you if you do bad. Franchise quarterback on a rookie contract. You can put all kind of pieces around him and build a championship team. Let's talk about overpaying players. Let's get down that tangent. I don't disagree with, uh, with setting a, a hard limit, right player, right price. That's going to be the test. How is this team going to perform on the road? I haven't completely bought in on this team. I need to see them have a performance like this on the road. Welcome into another edition of Take It to the Bank. I got, as always, my boy Basili Loricos with me, and we're, both of us were wrong last week. We both thought the Broncos were going to come into MT Bank Stadium and win, and neither of us are too egotistical or, or, or proud or whatever to say we were wrong. I, I, am I right in that? Correct, correct. We have to tip our cap to the Ravens coaching staff. They obviously use that extra time between the games to devise and design a brilliant game plan, especially Marty. He really had a great game, and they got it done, and uh, and I'm happy. Absolutely. We've got a jam-packed show for you. We're going to break down everything that we saw from the Ravens' victory over the Denver Broncos 27-14. We're going to preview a little stuff around the league, and then we're going to do a, a small preview of Baltimore's Week 4 primetime matchup with the Steelers. Remember, we have our official preview episode coming out later in the week. And let's get started with the offense. Let's start with Joe Flacco on this. What did you kind of see from Flacco in terms of what, what he did offensively? Because personally, I thought he did really good at, in, in his decision-making. I thought he read the defenses pretty well. There was a couple times where, and I'll mention it later, that he thought he made a couple mistakes. But I thought overall this was a, a nice bounce-back performance from Joe. For sure. He was sharp. I think the biggest difference between Week 2 and Week 3 was his accuracy. Joe Flacco was much, much, much more accurate in Week 3. I also noticed he does do a lot more using the snap count to his advantage, and he made a couple audibles at the line, which he is much more able to do at home than on the road. And most importantly, he avoided the costly turnover. And also worth noting, per pro football focus, Flacco fired the ball out at an average of 2.36 seconds per pass, which was the third quickest among all quarterbacks this week. Well, that's kind of what we talked about last week, and, and, and it's good to see that Marty Morningweg either listens to our podcast or reads my film pieces because he seemingly took everything I told him and, and applied it to their game plan because they utilized 
rub concepts, dare I say it, pick concepts as well, high-low patterns. They utilize a ton of different things in order to create that separation because the Broncos ran man coverage. The Broncos' defensive game plan was very, very similar to, to the Bengals in Week 2, and this time it was much more. It was much different result, obviously. The Ravens won. Their offense was successful. They were able to drive the ball down the field. They were able to score points, most importantly. And that's the thing is they were able to not rely on their receivers winning one-on-one matchups in ISO routes. They were able to allow, allow them to kind of work off each other, which just makes much more sense. I don't care who you have as a receiver out there, whether it's Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, Michael Crabtree, etc., have these guys work off of each other. That was one thing I really liked. As you mentioned, Joe got the ball out quick. A lot of quick passing concepts. They worked well. A couple RPOs as well. And and just overall, I think the best thing to put is his decision-making was very good, considering he didn't have the greatest protection. The offensive line certainly improved, and we can segue to them now too. But I still thought they had their struggles. They did. I think Marty did a lot to help them out. You know, he ran some screens at Von Miller. He rolled the pocket. He was using chip blocks. And then he also had some deception, mixing up the run and the pass. And he used some nice creative personnel packages, splitting Mark Andrews out wide, for example, and and also using both of the tailbacks in the backfield at the same time. Just quickly back to Joe. Uh, And as you mentioned, most of his passes were of the short or intermediate variety. In fact, he only had three completions that went for more than 20 yards. And he's currently sitting at 6.9 yards per attempt, which is much, much better than his embarrassing 5.3 average last year. But it's still only tied for 20th best overall in the NFL. And frankly, I think that's okay. I think that's what this offense needs in a lot of ways. It needs uh, high percentage passes underneath in the flats and in the middle of the field to keep the chains moving. We don't need to necessarily take a whole lot of deep shots right now. Get Joe Flacco in rhythm. He will be more accurate. He'll start to feel himself in the game, and then you can hit on those deep passes. They had the one to John Brown, the 44-yard reception as well. And that's what I liked is I felt like Marty Morningweg in the first— I'll just talk about the Bengals game in particular— it seemed like there was no consistent or any continuity in their game plan. It just seems like they were just running plays like they were running, like they were playing Madden. This week against the Broncos, it seemed like there was some sort of like grand plan where every play had a reason for being called and they developed off each other. That's good game planning when you show the defense a couple of things and then you show them what, what could be that and then you kind of break it off like the double moves. You, you have a guy run a slant a couple times, then you get him on a double move later. After he sees the slant, he'll start to jump on it, then you then you kind of get a double move and you can get a big play. And that's what I saw from, from Marty Morningwing, and that's why I'm so proud of him and proud of this offense for actually like of developing and looking at the film and saying, okay, this is where we where we struggled last week. Let's improve on. And they did. And the other point that I want to mention with the offensive line is, yes, they did not look great. But give them credit for the way, and Marty Morningberg as well, give them credit for the way that they stopped Vaughn Miller. They shut him out of the game. You mentioned it, and I thought it was perfect, is chip blocks, rolling the pocket, running at him, running away from him, doing different things, showing him different looks to take him out of the game and not let him ruin the game. I mean, he had two tackles and two penalties. And the other thing that I want to mention is that although Ronnie Stanley played hurt, he struggled in the beginning, and but he kind of found his rhythm later, which was going to be key for the Ravens because they don't have another left tackle. They don't have a guy they can put out there if he goes out or not or if he just plays bad. They don't have someone they can just throw in there. So he's got to step up, and I thought he did a better job after getting beat on the first play by Brad, Bradley Chubb. He, he did better. The, I think it was the second down, actually, but he got better as the game progressed. Completely agree. Stanley looked much, much healthier in this game, especially after that uh, that big hit Chubb put on Flacco from the from the blind side. And then we have to uh, we have to praise James Hurst in this one. 
He definitely had the benefit of some help and some scheme advantages, but he flat out showed very good technique and beat Von Miller. Uh, and, and that was really the matchup that concerned me, the matchup that, that made me pick the Broncos in this game. Overall, both of the tackles played very well considering their matchups. However, Alex Lewis at, at guard, he continues to have some issues. He allowed that strip sack to Shane Ray, and he is a good run blocker when he's pooling, but I've noticed that he too often just gets stonewalled when attempting to just run block hat on hat. When they run those power running schemes where they pull him, like you mentioned, he does very well at that because he's athletic. He's able to move pretty quickly. He's kind of like a dancing bear, and I do like him in that role, but you can't run that every single time. And in pass protection, he's an absolute nightmare. He gets burned and beaten so many times by the quick rip moves sometimes. Club moves get him as well from what I've seen. So Alex Lewis is certainly an issue. The other issue for me, Matt Skura. Um, the Ravens, and, I, and this is kind of unrelated to the game, but it's kind of is related in a way. The Ravens signed Hernandez Grasu this week, and it, it, do you think this is just a depth signing because you know they they waived Jermaine Illuminor and now he's back on the practice squad? But do you think this is kind of a depth signing, or you think Grasu has a chance to start at center? I think he could develop into a starter at center once he learns the scheme a little bit better. Grasu is a former day two pick; he was a collegiate All American. He does have starting experience. And 2.8 yards on the ground, which is what the Ravens average, is not getting it done. And just another personnel, potential personnel change, and it seems like James Hurst has settled in at right tackle. But I don't understand why they won't give Orlando Brown potentially a shot at guard, maybe to replace Lewis. If you can play tackle, you can play guard. We know he's a good run blocker and a, and a good pass blocker. So I, I hope they mix this lineup at some point. They're starting to become a little bit too stubborn. My only issue with that is I don't think that in the Ravens scheme with with the kind of the athleticism they rely on from their guards, and we've seen it with Lewis, I don't think Orlando Brown is athletic enough to play guard in this system. Maybe in other systems, other concepts, other schemes, he might be able to. But in this scheme, I don't think that he's a great guard for them. However... Like you mentioned, James Hurst has been very solid. There we saw it last week at, at right tackle, but he's a much better guard than Alex Lewis. I don't think that anyone can really debate that. So my question is, why not just put him at left guard? Because that upgrades the upgrades the interior offensive line without a doubt. And then you put Orlando Brown Jr. at right tackle. To me, that makes sense. To me, that that that's upgrading your offensive line. And then if you want to switch Grasso and Skura eventually down the line, that's fine as well. Skura's definitely had his struggles. I thought he did a little bit better in week three, but still. I wouldn't hate the change for Grasso once he learns the system. Because I think he is a guy that can potentially take over that job. I mean, he's, he started 12 games in the NFL. I mean, uh, two years ago, he suffered a torn ACL, came back, was kind of iffy. But as you mentioned, former day two pick, definitely a ton of talent. He's, he's athletic. He's able. He can also play a little bit of guard, too. So maybe try him out of guard as well. Fair points all around. Uh, I, I like I like where your head's at with that, and that does make a lot of sense as far as Brown doesn't have the athleticism to make some of those pull blocks. Um, so as far as the receivers, Mark Andrews is re- emerging as a reliable target. Now, he isn't going to run away from anybody, but he obviously has a knack for getting open, and he's bringing the ball down with reliable hands. And I also thought the other tight ends, Max Williams and Nick Boyle, blocked well in particular on the two rushing touchdowns the Ravens put on the scoreboard. Well, I want to go to one of those rushing touchdowns real quick. Alex Collins' first rushing touchdown. I want to mention this because we talked about it and we said keep 
running the Lamar Jackson plays. I don't care that they're not working. They're giving the defense extra looks. And if you go watch that play again, what a masterful play design by Marty Morningweg and, and whoever else, and Greg Roman, etc. Because what it did really is it really pulled both of the safeties and the corner out to Lamar because they both thought he was getting the football. They thought some way, shape, or form Lamar Jackson was getting the football. They turned and kind of committed to that side of the field. And then also what it did is their, is their inside linebacker, Josie Jewell, he thought Lamar Jackson was getting the football, so he kind of turned up. And then once he realized, hey, Lamar's probably not getting the football in this thing, and it's going to be Alex Collins, he, uh, the tight end, I think it was Boyle, was able to kind of make the block and get and get at him, and it, and it was a touchdown, e- easy touchdown, might I add. So the Lamar Jackson plays should be here to stay because they've proven that they, they can work, especially in the red zone. Let's, let's talk about this red zone offense real quick. I mean, 12 for 12, are you kidding me? It's unbelievable. Uh, extremely efficient. And I think the tailbacks, Alex Collins and Buck Allen, both of them deserve a lot of credit for the red zone success. They both seem to just have a knack for the goal line, a nose for the end zone, and they can they can punch it up in there. The offensive line blocks much better for some reason in short yardage situations like that. And uh, yeah, you 12 for 12, it doesn't get any better than that for sure. I love their play design in the red zone. They're they're not just relying on that kind of one play action play where they throw it to the to the H back. Now they're kind of using different concepts. They're running fade routes. They're running slants. They're running crossers. They're running anything they can to defeat mostly cover three defenses. And I really I really like it. They're running trap concepts in the running game. They're running they're running inside zones, outside zones. They're really mixing it up in the red zone. That's what I think is leading to their success. And that's what I like about it is that you really don't know what you're going to get because last year our biggest issue was their predictability in, in in this particular area. They were very predictable. You almost knew what they were going to do. They were going to run it one or two times and they were going to run a play action, try to give it to their fullback or, or, or tight end. Now it's like you don't know what's going to happen. That's what makes this offense really good in that area of the field. And I want to give you credit. Uh, th- th- it hurts me to say this and I really don't want to say it and I might get Kevin to cut this out because I really don't want to talk about it. But Tim White looked pretty good as a returner. I thought the uh, the 37-yard kickoff return was huge considering that terrible start that the Ravens got off with the with the three and out, then the block punt, and then they let Royce Freeman punch it in the end zone untouched. you know. And then you come back out, Tim White gives the offense a spark. The next play, somehow Denver totally leaves Mark Andrews completely wide open on a busted coverage. Uh, Flacco finds him, and a couple plays later, with that with that almost comical play design that you were talking about, where Lamar Jackson went to uh, ran to the left side and danced around the backfield while uh, Alex Collins punched it in on the, off the right side. You know, I think Tim White he was an important player in this game. Tim White looked good, and I thought his decision-making got better because we've seen in the preseason where he wouldn't field punts inside the 10 for some reason. They would literally bur- more like kind of inside the 20. He'll just let it bounce and it'll roll deeper into the Ravens' territory. So I like his decision-making. Uh, that first one he had, the first return, I thought was a little bit questionable. I'm not really sure what he was thinking there, but he improved. He got better, and that's what the Ravens need. They needed a guy that's going to be reliable, make good decisions. You don't always need a guy that's going to be a home run threat. I think he is a home run threat, but he also needs to improve his decision-making, which he showed in in this Broncos game, and I want to I want to give finally you before we switch to to defense. I want to talk about the special teams real quick, and I want to give you credit for this because again, this is a terrible episode for me because I'm giving you a ton of credit. But I want to give you credit for the special teams because you said maybe the Ravens don't have the advantage in the special teams. They certainly didn't. Um, the the pump block was awful. I'm not really sure why Tyus Bowser just didn't block him. Um, a couple other mistakes there. I mean, a, cu- a couple of penalties. This was a not this was an uncharacteristic John Harbaugh special teams unit. 
Well, and the and the blocked field goal as well, which which may or may have not been an illegal play jumping over the center. Uh, but then also again, you have to give credit to Justin Tucker. What a what a consistent performer. You could uh you could set the uh, the lines. Uh, on on your printer based off of his accuracy. Well, do you remember when we were talking about in the preseason? Is there an issue with Justin Tucker? Yeah, he 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 told us there's not an issue. Um, let's switch to the defense. What did you kind of see from this unit as a whole? Were you impressed? Not impressed? Uh, what, I don't know how you couldn't be impressed. But what what's kind of your overall takeaways from this? As a whole, I thought they played well, uh, especially considering the pieces they are missing. Jim, you know, no excuses. We don't make excuses around here, but but it is worth noting. Jimmy Smith was out. Willie Henry was out. Michael Pierce was out. Maurice Kennedy was out. Anthony Averett and C.J. Mosley. So with with that kind of personnel uh, lost, I think you have to tip your hat. The Ravens, after those two touchdowns, the early touchdowns, they went 52 minutes without without allowing Denver to put any points on the board, which is, I guess, a fitting number on uh, on Ray Lewis's Hall of Fame ring day. Uh, but yeah, they played well, but there were some exceptions. In my mind, it was not a great day for the defensive line. You have to wonder if the Ravens are regretting their decision to pay big Brandon Williams instead of Ricky Wagner two off seasons ago. B. Will is just simply not an impact player. I thought Brent Urban was the Ravens' best defensive lineman on Sunday. Let's talk about let's talk players. about overpaying players. Let's get players. down that tangent. Let's get please. down that tangent. So, please. Let's flash flash back to last week. Last week everyone said, "Oh, CJ Mosley's worth it. He proved it because the Ravens defense imploded. They couldn't once he got out of the once he got hurt and couldn't return after like the third play of the game. It was awful. It was over. The Ravens defense was disastrous." Let's dig into the numbers real quick. So, they allowed four consecutive touchdowns right after CJ Mosley left. Awful. Yeah, sure. But why did they do that? Did they do it because C.J. Mosley wasn't on the field? I don't think so. I think they did it because Don Martindale didn't prepare this team for a situation where you have to change signal callers. I don't understand how if you're a defensive coordinator, you don't prepare for every single situation. You have to get this unit prepared for if any guy on the field is out, especially C.J. Mosley, who is their signal caller. You have to have a backup guy. He's got to get experience doing that. And clearly, Patrick Owasu was not ready for that. So the, I blame more of that collapse in Cincinnati to the fact that Martindale didn't prepare his unit as opposed to the loss of C.J. Mosley. Why do I think that? Well, once Eric Weddle in that game started taking over as a signal caller in week two, the Ravens only allowed 134 yards and six points for the rest of the game. Six points. They they helped kind of start that comeback. The Ravens obviously were unable to do it. Joe Flacco wasn't overall great. The offense struggled a lot, and that, and that was the end of the story. However, let's go to this week. This week, they allow 14 points. And let's remember that one of the drives started inside Baltimore's six-yard line. So this defense shut down a very potent offense. I don't care what you say. Their offensive line is pretty solid. They've been performing pretty well this year. They have a lot of playmakers on the offensive side of the ball in terms of receivers and running backs and skill positions. Give them credit for playing without C.J. Mosley, without Michael Pierce, without Willie Henry, but and all the other guys they had, and Jimmy Smith. And give them credit for doing that. Give them credit for, for balling out. Because I was very impressed with this team. And, I, and it leads me to believe... Don't overpay for Mosley. Mosley's going to command a lot of money in that open market. Don't do it. I don't disagree. I don't disagree with I don't disagree uh, with setting with, uh, a hard limit, right player, right price, as Ozzie Newsom likes to say. And a player like Kenny Young could, uh, could quote unquote, eighty twenty 
CJ Mosley provide 80% of the production for 20% of the cost or maybe even 10% of the cost in this case. The linebackers were a huge bright spot in this game across the board. Kenny Young is going to be a stud in this league. He's just making plays all over the field, shooting gaps, sideline to sideline range, and that sticky pass coverage. And also, let's mention that Peanut redeemed himself from a slow start to the season with perhaps the play of the game that interception that he corralled in zone coverage in the fourth quarter that basically sealed the win. And also the outside linebackers, I want to give you some credit here, Logan. You predicted that Terrell Suggs would give Garrett Bowles some trouble, and he certainly did. Suggs had a sack and a half and a forced fumble. Judon also chipped in a couple tackles for a loss. Timmy Williams made his presence felt on a few plays, also drew some holding call. And Zadarius Smith, he was in the backfield all day long, seven total pressures in this game. That's the guy you want to talk about should you pay him. I know historically will tell, history will tell you that the Ravens don't pay outside linebackers that much. They kind of let some of their edge rushers walk because they think that they can develop and find other guys. But that's the guy you should really be talking about should they pay him because he's looked very good this season. He had a very good game against the Broncos. And give the entire edge rushing group credit because they drew several holding penalties. They might not have always gotten to the quarterback. I mean, they recorded only three sacks, but... They were able to draw several holding penalties because they were just flat out beating these guys to the off the ball. I mean, they were beating them consistently, and they were beating them really without much of a of a, of a fight. You know what I mean? They were able to kind of perform the what I was noticing is the club move was working well, and Suggs does it well too, where they kind of just get off the ball and they just club their hands quickly and just run right by him. And that's a great move for kind of faster, more athletic pass rushers, and that's what these guys are doing. So give them credit for that. And the other guy I want to point out, this is a guy that me and you both have have had our harsh words about in the podcast and, and we are a equal opportunity we are a podcast. Equal opportunity we, we, podcast. We give you we, credit we, if you do good. We, we talk about if you, if you do good. Bad. We talk about you if you do Tony bad. Tony Jefferson. I thought he had another good game. I mean, week one, he looked pretty good. Week two, struggled. Week three, comes back and plays pretty well. Had that clutch PBU at the end of the game. Uh, good in coverage, good in run defense. He had a tackle for a loss. Give him credit, man. He's, having a, he's on his way to having a bounce back year. Completely agree. Jefferson... I mean, he had Jake Butt totally blanketed on that big fourth down stop in the red zone. And he, he made some several very strong tackles in run support. I thought the secondary overall was a mixed bag. Marlon Humphrey and Tavon Young also had quality outings. However, Brandon Carr had a rough game. I think uh, I may have jinxed him. I was singing his praises last week. He allowed 88 yards in coverage, and he was really carved up by Denver's big receivers all game long, especially in the second half. And then Eric Waddle, we have to point it out again. I mean, he's just a step slow in pursuit. His lack of speed, I think, really caps the upside of this defense. Fortunately, Case Keenum did not was not able to isolate him, but that's uh, another player to keep an eye on. But yeah, Jefferson is definitely trending in the right direction. Give them credit because we both were kind of scratching our heads at this Kenny Young pick. We thought that it wasn't going to work. We didn't understand why they took him and in the round that they took him because we thought that it was a little bit uh, overdraft in our eyes. We thought that it was kind of like you could have got him later, maybe fifth or sixth round, but they got him in the fourth. And we thought he was pretty much just going to be a special teams guy from day one. Or maybe in year, year two or year three, he can develop into a two, maybe three down linebacker. But 
give this man credit, give Ozzy News some credit, give everybody credit because they found a way to to find the diamond in the rough in the draft. Everyone's talking about Orlando Brown Jr. being this, or Anthony Averett being the steal of the draft. It's Kenny Young, and it's not even close because Kenny Young right now is a three-down linebacker. Honestly, he's probably better in coverage than C.J. Mosley. He's more athletic. He's much, much faster than Mosley, so he can stick tight ends. He can stick running backs. He sticks whoever, and he's very good in run defense as well, and that was his biggest issue coming out of college and coming into the preseason was, Ken, how is he going to do in run defense, and, and he He's checked every box and more and created some other boxes and checked them. So give him credit. He's done really good. And the other thing I want to talk about and I want to ask you about, Brandon Carr, are you concerned? Because he got beat a couple times. Now, I want to put an asterisk on it because I think that some of the times, like you have to look at this, the context and the situation, some of the times when it's like third and 18 or whatever, you want to let him get, get let the guy catch it in front of the sticks and then just tackle him and then force a fourth down. Other times, though, he was just getting beat and it was ugly. It was ugly at times. Uh, I guess I'm slightly concerned. I'm I'm most concerned for week four when he's going to be up against Juju Smith-Schuster of the Steelers before uh, Jimmy Smith comes back from suspension. Long term, I think it's okay. I think the Tavon Young's bounce back game still gives me a good amount of confidence in the cornerback room overall. I want to, before we switch around to go around the NFL, I want to ask you final takeaways, any kind of preview for the Steelers matchup? Well, I mean, I think the Broncos really shot themselves in the foot in this game. Ugly drops, bad penalties, in-game injuries, including an ejection. And the Ravens capitalized on their mistakes, took care of business. Um, so, you know, that's all you can really ask. Take care of business when the opportunity presents itself. I think the Ravens are going to have a little bit of a tough stretch coming up here with four or six on the road. And both the uh, home games are also potentially challenging before they're by. Uh, so it's a step in the right direction, but I'm still having completely bought in on this team. I need to see them have a performance like this on the road. That's going to be the test. How is this team going to perform on the road? And they have a three-game road trip kind of coming up. They have, and like you mentioned, four of six are on the road as well. So what are they going to do? And they play quality teams as well. Um, the last thing I want to mention real quick before we go to around the NFL is what do you think about this offense right now? I know we kind of talked about the offense before, but what do you think about this offense? Like, Where is their ceiling? Because through the first three games, we've kind of seen a lot of mixed play, I guess you should say. Week one, they dominated a, a team that, might be the worst in the league, but I mean, we'll get to it, but they, they beat the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota, so shocker there, but they they dominated a far inferior team, then they go to Cincinnati and they, they crap the bed, they were unable to kind of do anything, and then against a pretty good defense, in my view, they looked really, really good, and, and I thought that their wide receivers created separation. I'm still not sure. I'm still feeling it out. You know, we need to see more consistency out of Flacco on a week-to-week basis. Um... Hayden Hurst, when he comes back, I think that should help. He he can be a, a vertical seam stretcher and add some more long plays to the to the equation. And we need to see the offensive line gel a little bit more and create some running lanes. I mean, best case scenario, I think they're a top ten offense. Worst case scenario, I think they're a top twenty offense. Where they're going to fall in that range, uh, we're gonna we're gonna find out on the road in the next three weeks. Absolutely. Let's check in with the AFC North. The Cleveland Browns on Thursday night beat the New York Jets and they got their first win in 635 days. They still haven't won on a Sunday in like a thousand something days, but they got their first win in the regular season win in the NFL. 
give them give them praise because they finally did something that both of us said last week and I've been saying for six months now that they should have started Baker Mayfield from day one. They they didn't. They were kind of forced into the action. They started Baker Mayfield. They, they got Baker Mayfield came in and he looked sharp. Baker Mayfield was completing several big time throws, NFL quality throws, whatever you want to say. He was expanding the offense and he was actually attacking the intermediate to deep parts of the field. Something Tyrod Taylor just didn't do in the first three weeks and the Browns are now 1-1-1. One, one, and one. They go to they play Oakland next week, but this defense looks dominant with Miles Garrett. Their secondary looks good. I mean, Denzel Ward is already the favorite in my eyes for Defensive Rookie of the Year, and they might have the Offensive Rookie of the Year candidate in Baker Mayfield as well if he continues his strong play. They look dangerous. There's no question. That's no. There's not going to be any gimme games against Cleveland in the near future. Baker was throwing darts out there. They have a lot of weapons. I still think that offensive line is a little bit vulnerable to tackle, and I'm not 100% sold on that secondary, but hey, all teams have flaws right now, and, and I think they're going to be in the mix. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah, Baker looked incredible. Um, the other games we have to mention, the Cincinnati Bengals went to Carolina, and they lost 31-21. And here was something, because I went back and watched this game, um, and I wanted to see how the Panthers kind of attacked Cincinnati because the Ravens showed like no ability to attack them. They just were really vulnerable. And I was kind of curious what Carolina did because their offensive line isn't that great either. And I was kind of wanted to see what they did to kind of offset Cincinnati's really stout defensive line. And what they did is, is like pretty much what we said, screen passes, moving the pocket with Cam Newton. Obviously a little bit easier with Cam Newton than Joe when you want to move the pocket, but they moved the pocket, screen passes, quick passing concepts, a lot of rub concepts as well because of the man, man coverage. Cincinnati loves to play with their top to your corners um it was it was a good game for carolina and cincinnati picks up their first loss of the season yeah uh carolina fed the ball to christian mccaffrey and isolated him against their linebackers and that was a matchup that was always going to win went out there let's see uh let's see how cincinnati's defense recovers when uh when fontes perfect comes back yeah, I mean, that's where you have to attack them, especially without Vontaze Burvick. You have to create mismatches with tight ends, and, and Ian Thomas had a solid day as well. Um, so you have to you have to create mismatches with their linebackers, certainly in coverage, and then with, with running backs or tight ends, whatever you want to do there. And then the, the Steelers, Monday night, they ended Fitzmagic. They, they ruined it. They, they went in, and, and in Steelers fashion, they went up by 20 points, and then somehow they lost the seemingly lost the lead in a way where, where, where uh, Tampa Bay was able to cut it to three at one point, and then the Steelers were able to kind of close it out. So is Pittsburgh back yet, or is it way too early to say that? They looked they looked darn good on Monday. Uh, I think they're not quite in, in sync right now. Antonio Brown and Big Ben are not in sync, uh, but James Conner's doing a good job on the ground. They were also missing their entire right side of the offensive line, and they were still able to handle that, that Tampa front in a way, in a game that was that was marred by roughing the passer penalties, kind of ridiculous there. But yeah, Pittsburgh's defense, the return of Joe Hayden, definitely made a big difference. And I am uh, predicting that they are going to stack the box and blitz Joe Flacco relentlessly on Sunday Night Football in Week Four. But really, it was a wacky, wacky Week Three. We saw the 17-point underdog Bills beat the mighty Vikings by 21 on the road. The Lions' defense held Tom Brady to 10 points. The Packers couldn't hang with the Redskins. The Jaguars lost at home to a questionable Titans squad. And the Miami Dolphins are one of only three undefeated teams remaining. So the NFL, it seems like once you just when you start thinking you have a feel on things, uh, everything changes in a blink of an eye. 
And Jimmy Garoppolo is now done for the season with a torn ACL. So that, that hurts a, or what everyone was saying was a contender. Yeah, I mean, there's only two teams that are really rising to the cream of the crop in, in Kansas City. If Mahomes can continue to outscore teams and then Jared Goff really coming into his own in McVay's high-octane offense. If I'm John Harbaugh, I'm reasonably happy with the Ravens' positioning right now. Now tied for first in the division. Several key players set to return in the near future. And I don't think anybody in the AFC appears particularly imposing. Everybody has a weakness or two that can be exploited um, so maybe the Ravens are a contender by default in 2018. Well, the thing I want to mention, the scary thing, I guess you should say, with Kansas City is in every game they've played, they've left points on the board. Mahomes has missed some big-time throws. Against the Steelers, he could have had 10 touchdowns, so 10 or 11 touchdowns. He missed some throws. And then against the 49ers, he also missed a couple deep throws as well. So there's still points on the board for them, and they're still dropping 30 to 40 points a game. But that defense is absolutely atrocious. That's where you attack them. I mean, they have to put up 30 to 40 points a game in order to win because their defense is going to allow 30 to 40. Well, I think the defense is getting a little bit better, and... You have to understand, first of all, they're going to be in prevent mode most of the game if if their offense continues to score this much. Eric Berry, their safety, hasn't played at all this year, and he's a big piece on that back end. And their edge rusher, Justin Houston, is having a resurgent year. He was one of the best rush, uh, pass rushers in the league a few years back. So maybe if you have those two pieces and Mahomes and that insane offensive weaponry – Maybe they can make it happen. I'm not sold on their defense, but I don't think it's quite as ter- or it's going to be quite as terrible as maybe we thought. Well, the Ravens have a a matchup with Kansas City looming in a, in a couple of weeks, and I don't know if this offense can keep up with them. I mean, I don't care how bad that defense is. I'm not sure they're going to be able to put up 30 to 40 points and what, what's going to need what they're going to need to get in order to win that game. I want to also touch on this. So four out of the five uh, first-round rookie quarterbacks are now set to start in week four. Obviously, Darnold in New York, Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, Josh Allen's been starting for Buffalo, and Josh Rosen now gets to start in Arizona. So what are, what are we thinking about Lamar? Because four, four out of the five, now Lamar's the only one that's not starting. And obviously, I don't think Lamar should be the starter yet, obviously, with, with Joe Flacco. But you're seeing teams kind of evolving that strategy of we're not going to let our guys wait anymore. We're going to put them out there right away. And Josh Rosen got in. He had uh, two two series against the Bears. It was a weird situation. There was four minutes left in the game. They were down by two after they surrendered their 14 nothing lead. It was 16-14, to and Josh Rosen threw his untimely interception. Then he threw another one, but then it got called back. Um, but he didn't look very good. But, I mean, it's hard to look good in that kind of situation when, when your head coach just throws you into the fire with four minutes left in the game, down by two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was odd. Rosen, Rosen did not, and hey, that Bears defense is one of the best defenses in the league. I actually disagree that Miles Garrett is a front runner for defensive player of the year. I think Khalil Mack has has been the one. Um, but yeah, it's a little interesting. Rosen hasn't looked great. Darnold's been a little bit up and down. I think, and then Josh Allen's really playing well, more pro ready than a lot of people imagined. I've seen a lot of comparisons to Cam Newton because he has some ability with the legs and that big, strong arm. Uh, and so him or Mayfield are probably, he looked good. He looked, yeah. he looked good against that tough Minnesota defense. Give him credit. Darnold has really looked up and down. I know week one, he kind of shattered everybody with his strong performance after his first NFL pass was an interception, but he's looked good, struggled late in that game against Cleveland. And we already talked about how good Baker Mayfield looked, but 
I don't know. It's kind of it's just interesting to point out that that the NFL is no longer trending in that direction of we're going to rest our starting quarterback or our first round rookie quarterback for his first year. We're not going to let him sit for a year or two or whatever. So, so but, and I think the reason why teams are doing that is because you they know that they have to figure out is this going to be the guy? Does he have potential? Because we want to build around him and, and take advantage of having a quarterback on such a rather cheap contract. Really, it's been that way for a few years, with few exceptions. Most first-round quarterbacks have started at least half the games of the rookie year, and it's all about the salary cap. If you can have uh, your quarterback, franchise quarterback, on a rookie contract, you can put all kind of pieces around him and build a championship team. And I do hope that the Ravens find out what they have in Lamar Jackson sooner rather than later. I don't know if that's this season or next season, but if Flacco cannot take this team to the playoffs, I'd like to see Jackson in there because looking down the pike a little bit, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but there are some generational quarterback prospects in the collegiate ranks right now, and I don't think the Ravens want to miss the opportunity to grab one of those if Lamar's not going to be their guy. Yeah, their guy should be named Trevor Lawrence, and they should trade to get Trevor Lawrence, whatever it takes. Whenever Trevor Lawrence comes out, Trevor Lawrence should be their guy. I'll say Trevor Lawrence 10 times because Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, I'm already, whenever he comes out, he's going to be the offensive rookie of the year. So I've already told you the next like three or four years of, of the rookie of the year awards. But I want to ask you this real quick before we shut this thing down. Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo goes down. Everyone's saying, should San Francisco trade for Robert Griffin III? The answer is no, because Kyle Shanahan and him don't get along, right? I mean, I hope they trade for him, but I think a more likely trade target is Tyrod Taylor. I think that makes a lot more sense for both teams. I agree. I just don't think Cleveland's going to do that just yet, but they might, they might. And then the other thing, Jacksonville. Are you worried about this Jacksonville Jaguar team? I know it's one week and they lost. I mean, they're, they're, they're still 2-1, and one, but I don't know. I'm not worried about them. Tennessee has had their number the last couple of years, actually, which doesn't make sense, but sometimes it just plays out that way. That defense is still incredible. Uh, Fournette missed the game again, which is just another reason why you don't take a running back early or in the first round at all, really, ever, period. Uh, and then their their tackle, Cam Robinson, tore his ACL after the year. Um, so, yeah, that offense is not amazing, but that defense is, so I'm not worried now. And Blake Bortles did not look good. And that's a team that, I'm, that I've been saying in the offseason could be trading for Joe Flacco if the Ravens went apart with him. I mean, it wouldn't be that crazy for them to take on that contract. They can get they can get out of the Bortles contract with, with relatively little cap damage, and that that's a team that could that could target Flacco if Flacco plays well down the road and Bortles doesn't doesn't deliver. But Bortles, it's only one game. Don't no need to react there. Any final thoughts about the Week Three NFL season? We're still trying to figure things out here in this season. A lot of teams are sitting at two and one or one and two. It's totally wide open. And let's hope the Ravens coaches are in the laboratory coming up with some some schemes and plays that are going to work against the Steelers in week four. Absolutely. So we have our fantasy football show, the ATM. They'll probably be releasing an episode on Wednesday. So look out for that if you want to help with your fantasy football team. And then if you want to hear the preview show, our official preview show for the Ravens Steelers, we'll break down our scouting reports, everything, and how the Ravens should should attack that Steelers defense and how they should try to limit Pittsburgh's offense. Because so far we're three for three, I say, because we've kind of pointed out the key matchups and it's kind of been exploited or proven correct through the first three weeks. So it seems like we sort of kind of not really have an 
idea of what's going on. Um, but with that, you hear the music, we're out. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.